When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone executive editor Nathan Brackett. I'm here with Brittany Spanos. We're going to start with our What We're Listening To section. How you doing, Brittany? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. So the first song we're going to talk about is from the lead singer of The Walkman, Hamilton Lighthouser, and a member of Vampire Weekend, or I should say former member of Vampire Weekend, Rostam. Mm -hmm. I'm loving this song. It's called A Thousand Times. I've had that dream a thousand times. Hamilton and Rostam are going to be releasing a joint album in September called I Had a Dream That You Were Mine. And it's actually the opening lyric to A Thousand Times. And they have released a few songs already, and it's really sort of pulling together all of these sounds and influences that they've been doing with Hamilton as part of the Walkman and Rostam coming from Vampire Weekend and a lot of his production work. And it's interesting to see how that fused together and a thousand times is definitely my favorite from the yeah. collection. It's usually, it's kind of like a perfect merge I think of like mm-hmm. the Walkman and Vampire Weekend or a lot of com- things that I like about both bands like you know obviously two big bands from the early 2000s and yeah. Hamilton Lighthouser is one of like the better shouters from that <laughs> era you know real passionate front man. This song is about getting older. It's got a great video too where like he starts off as a child and mm-hmm. the kind of the whole band gets older over the course of the song. And it's just like a really romantic loping like kind of yeah. Good time song. Yeah. Uh, and I'll be excited to hear more from this album. Yeah. And with like the early 2000s sort of bent to it, it's like, it kind of reminded me of The Strokes a little bit with this sort of teasing you with this almost ballad sound and then going into his like screaming and sort of more passion. And, it definitely builds. And yeah. It has this like kind of crescendo in the same way that The Strokes have. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like this modern twist on like a power ballad and yeah. His, just a, sort of a beautiful way of exploring the unrequited love that he sort of talks about in the song. Yeah. You've also been listening to the uh, Carly Rae Jepsen record. Can yeah. you tell me about this? So this is like a side B. It's a motion side B, yes. right? So Emotion came out last year, and that album was really huge for shifting Carly Rae away from the bubblegum of Call Me Maybe and showing off her songwriting skills and production skills. And Side B was a lot of the extras from the album that she had been teasing actually for a while now. Um, she had said that she had written 40 songs for Emotion. For those of you who have been living in the mountains somewhere, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, of course, did Call Me Maybe, which mm-hmm. is like one of the biggest songs of the last decade. And then she kind of came back with a more mature record, Emotion, right, last yeah. year. Yeah, it was definitely a lot more subdued from the really big electro pop that she was doing with... Um, with Call Me Maybe and a lot of her earlier music. And so she kind of came back with this really cool, subdued indie pop sound. And it's a lot of 80s influence that she has on it, a lot of Cyndi Lauper-esque like, songwriting and sort of lyrical tinges to it and the sound. Um, and you really it really comes across in Side B. Um, a lot of the album just sort of sounded like a lot of weird 80s pop deep cuts with like the synth sounds and the strange ethereal lyrics and everything. But yeah. What songs are you digging on it? I really love the song Store. Where we're going, oh, I can't talk about it. 
lyrics are really weird and the song itself is just, it's probably the catchiest, most direct pop song on there. Um, but the lyrics have this weird 90s, 80s TV trope of like someone going to the store for cigarettes and never, never coming back. And that's like the theme of the song, which is such a weird theme to do for a breakup song. I think that's my, probably my favorite <laughs> song. Because yeah, you're right. It's super catchy, but it's yeah. also also a little bit offbeat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like, I love weird pop songs like that where it's sort of like you have to you're like, oh, this is a really catchy song, and then you listen to the lyrics, and it's like, oh, what are you even singing about? How is that even related to what you're trying to address? But I think that she does it really well, and it was actually an old song for her. She released it initially as part of an anti-smoking campaign in 2011. No kidding. Which I was, like, looking up. I was trying to figure out more about the song, and it was, like, released, you know, five years ago as part of this anti-smoking campaign. If this becomes a hit, it could be one of the biggest (laughs) anti-smoking songs ever. (laughs) (laughs) So what what else are you digging on the album? I really love Cry. I mean, especially after I had just finished Stranger Things and, like, listening to the song, but, like, it just kind of fused with that. So it wasn't no actually on the Stranger Things soundtrack, no. but it like it, it does just, have like, that sounded pure like 80s it, yeah. vibe. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's like it felt like it came from that era that yeah. the show was paying tribute to. Right. Um, and it's really sort of her paying tribute to a lot of that era as well with a lot of her music on side B. Right. So. Well, all right. Well, Carly yeah. Rae Jepsen, she's on a journey. Br- <laughs> Brittany Spanos, thanks for coming on. Thank you. I'm not him, but I mean something to you. And that was a little bit of Frank Ocean's Nikes from his new album, Blonde, which kicked off a new war over exclusive music between Apple and Spotify and the major labels and has been a topic of a lot of discussion all over the music business. To go over the ins and outs of this and talk about what it means for fans, I'm here with contributing editor Steve Knopper calling in from Colorado over Skype. What's up, Steve? Hey, Nathan. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm good. Thanks for coming on. And Jason Newman. Music news editor for RollingStone.com. What's up, Jason? How's it going? Hey. So, Steve, you cover this topic intensely for us. Can you catch us up to kind of where we were with these uh, wars over exclusives up to this point, before the Frank Ocean record? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as as most people know, you know, the, the music business is still in this transition. They were selling CDs and then iTunes downloads song by song, and now everybody is streaming. And there's this intense competition between streaming services, particularly Spotify and Apple Music. Those are really the biggest ones, but also Tidal and Rhapsody and a whole bunch of others. And so a couple of the services, particularly Apple Music and Tidal, have decided that the way they're going to get a leg up is by getting exclusive releases from major artists. So basically um, that means so, like the Drake album will come out, but only Apple Music will have it for two weeks or something like that? That's correct, with with Drake. And and there have been a ton of high-profile exclusives this year. There was Beyonce's Lemonade on, on Tidal, and there was Rihanna on Tidal, and Kanye West was on Tidal. And then, as you said, Drake was on Apple Music, Chance the Rapper on, on Apple Music, on and on and on and on. So there's sort of like this this kind of bidding war, this 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 uh, arms race to, to get all these different exclusives by the services so they can outdo each other. Right. I mean, we've really entered this world where like the biggest albums in music are now only available in one place, right? For at least a week or two when they first come out. 
Right, exactly. There's it's it's almost guaranteed that if you're a huge artist, you're going to have an exclusive somewhere. But that's not true with everybody. I mean, Taylor Swift didn't do it at all. Adele didn't do it at all. So everybody has their own way of releasing an album, and it's a lot different than it used to be. Right. All right. So now, what kind of set off this most recent flare up? Yeah. So Frank Ocean, unbeknownst to anyone, really. I mean, uh, unless his label knew something, and they're not telling us. Well, I, presumably to, his manager knew, right? Or yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. Of course, his people knew, but I right. meant Frank Ocean and his people. You know, they they were obviously upset with something about their record deal with Universal Music, which is the biggest record label in the world. It has thirty percent share of of sales in the in the music business, and so they had one album left on the contract for Frank to deliver to Universal. And what he chose to do was kind of this video album that was not as strong, that was a little bit of a concept and probably wouldn't sell that much. He gave that to Universal as his final album. Then he turned around almost immediately and and gave his other album, which is pretty sure to be some kind of hit, which was Blonde, and gave that to Apple Music outside his label deal as as an exclusive. So he so ba- basically like, yeah, App- Apple was sort of, it was him and Apple putting out the record without his participation of his label. Right, so he really, he really kind of, yeah. sorry to break in, I mean, but he really, I mean, it's just to give people at home like a sense, like he really kind of pulled a fast one, you know, he basically faked <laughs> yes. out his label. Right. He said that- It was a little, yeah. it was a little bit punk rock, I think. Yeah, yeah. and faked out fans, because when Endless came out, a lot of people- Endless was the media. kind of, was the non-album. Right. right, and people didn't know if Endless was the same as Boys Don't Cry, which later became Blonde, and so I think he sort of, part of it was sort of the- the planned marketing subterfuge of wanting to kind of keep people on their toes and keep fans on their toes as right. well. And Endless was like a weird album. So basically, yeah. this is like one of the most anticipated albums of the year, of the last couple of years. People have been waiting for it. And the first thing that people heard was this kind of weird side album. And then the real album, quote unquote, wasn't even on a label. It was on Apple Music, Apple which Music, is kind right. of a huge thing. Right. So, right. so what happened after that, Steve? Well, after that, I mean, Universal kind of turned around. It depends on who you ask, but but my sources tell me that Universal, you know, was not mad. They didn't, you know, call him back and drag him into back into the office with lawyers. Sure, you know, they, they were. Okay, yeah. fine. Here's your walking papers, but we're going to ban exclusives label wide from now on. Nobody else on our label. And that means, you know, presumably that means Taylor Swift and Drake and Jay-Z and all the other, you know, huge superstars on, on Universal are never going to be able to do exclusives again. Supposedly like the holds, head, sorry to break it, supposedly the head of Universal Lucian Grange sent around an email, right, to everybody saying that we're not going to do exclusives anymore, right? Correct. An, an internal memo is how, is how I write it. That's right. <laughs> but I, I wonder, like, I mean, the question would be, like, if that does go into effect and Lucian is serious about that, you know, Will there be any sort of retaliation or backlash among other artists who will say, look, whatever happened with Frank happened with Frank, but I want to do it this way. Then it's going to come – it becomes a new leverage game between Universal and like the A-game artists, you know? Right. Right. So, I mean that that's tricky and you're right. That has to be played out. But one interesting thing is that many, many surprising number of the big artists on Universal – are actually not signed to Universal. And that includes Taylor Swift, who's signed with Big Machine, and Drake, who's signed with Cash Money, a lot of other examples of this. It's, they just have distribution deals through Universal, which is kind of a, a, a technical thing. They so, have a so what does that mean? Like, I don't want to get too far inside baseball, yeah, but like, no, what, what does that actually little, mean? Yeah. Like, uh, 
for it people at home means that it's more difficult for Universal to tell them what to do. They don't actually have a direct contract that is negotiated between them and Universal. There's this other player that has more clout in the deal. So Universal made this policy. You could easily see Taylor Swift when it comes around to her next album. She wants to do an Apple exclusive saying, uh, you don't know me. I'm, I'm with Big Machine. We have our own people. So know? basically so, you're, you're so, saying that Universal sent around, the head of Universal sent around this memo but about no more exclusives, but a lot of his biggest artists don't necessarily have to follow the rule, the new rule. Is what I'm, I'm just saying what people, it, it right. does strike me as a, as a little bit toothless, this memo. Maybe not toothless, right. but a little bit less power than you would think. I'm not sure how much 100% control that he has. And as you said before, you know, major artists have leverage. You right. know, they could say, well, fine, we just won't put out our album for a while then or, you know, something like that. It, it is so, also, so, yeah. And there's sort of the, the ego machinations going in where it is, you know, kind of to piggyback on what Steve said, where there's sort of the, you know, Frank kind of came in and, and essentially does a mic drop on Universal, um, right. you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, shit, we have to, you know, we need to at least assert some sort of leverage or perhaps imaginary leverage, depending on how you look at it. You know? Right. I mean, and, and in the case of, sorry, Nathan, but in the case of, of Frank Ocean, the interesting thing about that is that usually those kinds of conversations between the artist and the artist's own label happen in private. <laughs> they don't usually explode all over the internet and, and, you know, have these, have these power moves happen publicly. So right. I found this very interesting and, and kind of new and different. Right. It definitely felt like it was entering a new level of publicity, as you said. And, and then you know, about six days later, a report came out on Bloomberg, which was really interesting, saying that like Spotify, which kind of up, kind of the biggest streaming player, and has basically they've kind of kept above the fray. They've been saying that they actually don't do exclusives, that they just like try to have everything whenever it comes out. But then, Steve, this report said something that basically they were kind of doing this behind the behind the scenes thing. <laughs> right. They were supposedly, according to Bloomberg, Spotify was burying releases by um, artists who had exclusives on other services, particularly Apple Music. So supposedly, you know, if you had Spotify after Views, Drake's album came out on Spotify after the exclusive, um, it, it was harder to find on the service. You right. know, it took you a while longer. And, right. and that was supposedly retaliation. Now, Spotify denies that ever happened. And, you know, I haven't found anybody who really, you know, was frustrated or concerned that they couldn't find that album on Spotify when that was supposedly happening. But, you know, it, it's certainly possible that the competition between these services is, is getting kind of intense and, and somewhat ugly. Right. I, I haven't checked that myself either. But like apocryphally, you know, there's no way Spotify can like bury a Katy Perry album, you know, where you can't find it if you search for well, Katy Perry. But they do have playlists. Sure. And they, you know, the top right. 40 playlists and editors picks, which get a lot of pe get a lot of traffic, a lot of people That's listen true. to, a lot yeah. of casual listens, listeners listen to. And, and they basically can say, we're not going to put you spotlight you. Uh, in those uh, playlists, and, right? and they can certainly they say, could, yeah. They can certainly say you know, they can't bury it to an extent, but they can certainly determine the level of promotion that it gets. And right. certainly, you know, I think with A-level artists, it might be a little trickier because people are going to find them anyway. It's not going to matter to Drake. Right. He's going to get He's, his listens anyway. But if you go into like you know the A minus B kind of level artists that actually are B level artists that need promotion and that need a little more help through Spotify, this could, I mean, if it is true, it could have, you know, some sort of detrimental effect on that. Maybe not as much as Spotify wants it to, but certainly a bit of an effect. Right. True. And you, but you also have to wonder, I mean, you, it, it may be happening. I'm not denying it is. Sometimes this stuff get, gets ugly, but you have to wonder if spot, how far Spotify would take such a thing if right. they are actually doing that. I mean, we're talking about, oh, so you're going to hide Beyonce and Rihanna and Drake 
and and um, Chance the Rapper and, you know, on and on and on and on. All these people have done exclusives. Uh, you know, then you're just hurting your own service. Then not as many people are going to sign up and listen. There's a bit of cut off your nose to spite your face, I think, that are that's going to come in. So I guess uh, backing up for a minute, like, you know, how does this really affect fans? Like, why should fans, like, care about this? What, what, what does it mean to them? Jason, do you want to answer that first? I mean, I think, you know, speaking personally from people that I've spoken to and just kind of see it, you know, on social media, it's leading to a lot of fan confusion, you know, whereas when, you know, even going back, like, 10 years ago, you would have uh, an album would come out and it would be very easy to find. You knew exactly where it was. Or if you want to bootleg it, that was easy to find. Now what you're seeing is, okay, so it's going to be on Apple for 24 hours. Then it's going to window for the next two weeks. Then it'll be on this. Um, and I think what's going to happen is it's going to lead to more and more sort of fan confusion. My question is, to what extent do the brands care about that? Well, you would think they would care. I mean, yeah. I think you make a great point about, like, you're, you're right. I mean, back in the old days, it was about you put out an album, and it was about just getting it as many places as possible right. and putting up as many billboards as you could. And I even remember you know, people got very upset when uh, artists started signing deals with places like Walmart. I remember mm -hmm. the Eagles at one point put out an album only in Walmart, right. and a lot of people objected to that. So this is really kind of a change in the way of you know right. labels and, and artists approaching this. Some people have said that uh, it's going to lead to more piracy. What do you guys think of that, Steve? Do you, do you agree? Yeah, I do think piracy is... I mean, I, I've checked the numbers this year and, and the sources for piracy numbers are saying that there hasn't been that much of an uptick overall in piracy this year. Although, you know, some of those records, Beyonce's Lemonade kind of had a bump when that exclusive happened. So it is a little bit <laughs> of a thing. But one beneficiary of this is kind of YouTube, because YouTube, you know, and that's a whole other debate, but YouTube is kind of kind of gets all this music anyway, you know, sometimes uh, right, legitimately and sometimes not so legitimately. And when the Chance the Rapper album came out, um, you know, it was an exclusive for, I think, a week on Apple. And I already had paid. I have a Spotify $10 a month subscription and I'd already paid, you know, 10 bucks for the Beyonce exclusive on title and 10 bucks for the Drake exclusive. And I didn't feel like doing that anymore. So I just found this, you know, it was only up for like a day, a, a, an album stream of, right. of the, Ch the rapper album. And it had like Clairol ads in the middle of the songs, you know. So it was it was kind of bizarre what I was listening to, but I found a way to listen to it anyway. Right. And obviously most, you know, if you're a 16-year-old Chance the Rapper fan, you're not going to pay $30 a month for all three mm -hmm. streaming services. I mean, it does seem right. like it's got an obvious negative effect in the sense that, you know, if you're not going to uh, pirate something or you don't want to listen to Clairol ads, you're going right. to have to – you're going to miss something. You're yeah, not going to be able to listen to music you want to listen to. The tragic irony though is that for anyone who's ever bought a CD in, your, in their life, that is three CDs a month. Right. That's it. Right. Like, right. That's true. Is, if someone said three well, CDs a month and you're like, no, I refuse to pay three CDs a month. But obviously the, there's been a, a, a shift in, in how people sort of view it. Right. right. Well, I mean, that's worth I'm talking about too. I mean, man. like, I mean, all of us are old enough to remember those days. I mean, it's true. I mean, it's like, do you think we are in a world where people are not going to scoff at paying 10 or $15 a month? For, uh, I mean, music. I think I, I think we're in a world where they shouldn't. But uh, but w when your baseline level in 2016 is free, then ten dollars a month is going to seem expensive. You know, it's all obviously psychological. But like when you were at a point when 16.99 was normal for a CD, which was total bullshit because that was too high anyway, um, it wasn't that big a deal. But I think now, you know, I think where the industry failed, and it's obviously part of a bigger issue, is not convincing instead of not convincing fans of the value of this. And part of the exclusives, obviously, is that's to get them in their service. Oh, you want 
Pablo, well, then you have to join Title. You want Drake, you have to join Apple. But it's also not looking at the bigger picture of convincing people to pay for music in general right. and why that's important. It's part of a much bigger conversation, but I think there's sort of been a collective failure on that part of the industry. Right. So we've talked about like, like fans being potential losers in this. Uh, who are the other losers? What about record labels? Does it, has this, for me, it's been a kind of picture. It, it feels like the labels are getting less and less powerful in terms of determining artists' careers. Would you say so, Steve? I don't know. Um, I think, I mean, labels have been diminishing for a long, long time. And this is certainly not a power period for record labels compared to the CD era, certainly. We're way behind that time. But, you know, right now, all three major labels are in the middle of negotiations for content deals with Spotify. And right now, they kind of have some leverage because, you know, they, they, they have all these other services that are competing with each other. Apple music is strong, you know, and, and if, if they want to sort of put their own terms down on Spotify and say, Hey, you know, Taylor Swift comes out with a record. We only want her to be on the, on the pay side of the service rather than the free ad supported side. They might have a little bit more leverage now to be able to do this. Cause then they could say, okay, well we're yanking all our stuff and we're going to Apple music. So, so, so basically I think labels are in a little bit more of a, of a power position than they have been digitally for for several years now so basically so the labels are all re-upping their deal with spotify and so you're saying your point is basically that like it, they may not be like the all-powerful death stars that they were before in the in the 90s but they're ba- they're getting paid more than ever yeah i mean there there was that period in the 90s and then there was like that terrible period for the labels when apple came in and said we're the only game in town you guys have to give us all your content so we can put it in the itunes store for downloads, and we're going to dictate all the terms. It has to be 99 cents, all the different things. Apple got its way every time, and they were dominant for several years. It's not like that anymore either. The labels are more powerful now than they were in that position. So somewhere in the middle of the two. Hmm. Interesting. Well, are there any other like winners in this, like artists, managers? It seems like it's a pretty good time to be Taylor Swift. I mean, maybe any time is a good time okay, to be it, Taylor I mean, Swift. Yeah, it's, it's, always, but, it's, it's a great time to be an A-lister and, and be right. able to negotiate this. I mean, I, I, I wonder, Steve might have more insight than I would, but I wonder if you are more of an up-and-coming artist uh, and you start to get to that level where you're selling you know, three or 4,000 Cedars, where you're starting to get a little bigger, but not huge. How is that actually going to affect well, that, your I think career? That's, that's a great point because it's it's like yes, if you're Drake or Taylor Swift, you can basically write your own ticket. And now Apple, for one, is famous for like you know they're paying artists, they're funding their their music videos. Artists are getting a lot of money from these places. But if you're a middle level artist, you're gonna it's gonna hurt if you sign an exclusive deal with Apple and Spotify buries you on their playlists. You have to make a choice. Right. I, I think that the middle level, level artists, middle to lower level artists, people who really need to be heard, unlike Taylor Swift, you know, they 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 want to be everywhere. They just want to be on all the services. They're not even in the, in the discussion of exclusives. I mean, that, I was surprised by Chance the Rapper. I was surprised that he participated in that Apple Music exclusive as full stop as it was. I thought, you know, maybe they'd fund an album or, you know, a track or a video or something. He struck me as someone who's more in that middle level. Well, um, I mean, if, he kinda, if you are trying to get a foothold, you need to be everywhere. He's well. He's actually that's all we could almost spend an episode on him because he's he's pretty interesting. <laughs> but in the in the case yeah, against yeah, labels, he he's have a label. he's someone who's become a breakthrough artist and really entered that kind of 
close to the top level with, without a label, which is kind of tells yeah, you something about. Yeah, that's true. About, it was right. what he did was was surprising and smart. I thought. Right. Yeah. And to be fair, Apple Apple has struck deals on the on the beat side with you know Josh Omi and uh, and Saint Vincent and Corey Taylor name you know people that are names but probably aren't aren't on that Drake Rihanna level. Right. Um, who have radio shows you know through Apple and are able to get kind of their name out that way. So to be fair, they are at least giving those artists the opportunity to do something cool. Right. Well, yeah. I guess maybe yeah. we should start to wrap it up. Maybe I ask both of you guys, do you see anything changing do you, in, in any way? Do you see anything coming out of this kind of like heightened streaming war? Steve, do you see anything changing? I don't know if anything changes because of this Frank Ocean business or or, or the universal mandate. I, I do think that we're in a race to sort of have just a few players in the in the streaming market, assuming that streaming is the thing going forward. I mean, I think it's going to be, Somebody's going to make a play. Google, Apple, Amazon, maybe. You know, one of those companies, I think, is going to wind up eating all the other companies. And there's going to be one or two major players going forward. I don't I don't think there's going to be room for, you know, a million different streaming companies all elbowing each other out for space for, for very much longer. Jason, what would, what would you like to see happen? Well, I was going to say, I think, well, first of all, you know, a year from now, I wonder if Title is even going to exist anymore or be bought out because, yeah. as Steve was <laughs> saying, you know, in the in the battle, this really has become an Apple-Spotify battle, and Title has sort of gotten in on it a little bit, and certainly they've done their share of exclusive deals, um, but it really has become an Apple-Spotify battle. So I think it's probably, for me at least, a question of when, not if, you know, Title sort of gets absorbed by somebody, by the, one of the bigger fishes. Um, but I think it's also going to be, what I'm, what I think is going to happen, or what I think will be very interesting to see, is you know to what extent are artists going to leverage this new you know exclusive economy, for lack of a better phrase, you know for their for their own selves. Like I'm very curious to see how uh, artists that are going to get to that next level, how they're going to use these exclusives to get there. Um, and you know I'm sure there are many many conversations right now that are happening between manager and artist. And uh, you know ten years ago it was about you know what store should we go in. Uh, or maybe what label should we go with? And now it's, well, who do you want to do a deal with? And why is Spotify better or more important than Apple? You know, what, what do you want to go free or do you want to go paid? Um, it's kind of fascinating to see. I think it's going to be a really interesting time to see if you're an artist. It's almost like, it's almost like artists have to have like a philosophical discussion. Like do they, or, you know, do they want to have a label that takes care of all their needs and like makes all the business decisions for them? Or do they want to kind of go it alone a little more and right. then just cut some deal with Apple? So right. Uh, I, I guess it's good uh, for artists to have options, but we'll see what happens. Well, guys, this is super interesting. Thanks for coming on. Jason Newman. Thank you for having me. Steve Knopper, thanks for calling in. Of course. Thanks. I enjoyed it. And that's it for Rolling Stone Music Now. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating on the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.